Good morning, church. On this Segway Sunday between the holidays, let me wish you both a happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas. Earlier this month, through the generous kindness of a friend, we were able to take our entire family to wait for it, Disney World. (laughs) 22 of us in all, including 12 grandchildren. Most of them are little. Our trip was a scream. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) First time in our lives we've been able to do this. I know, I know. Don't judge me. You're saying, he's a bad dad. Your kids have been scarred for life. You never took them before? Well, I took them now, so they're in therapy, okay? (laughs) My favorite park was Magic Kingdom. My favorite building was the renowned castle. My favorite event was celebrating 50 years of Disney with a spectacular light and fireworks display splashed on and around that castle. And my favorite show, wait for it now, I'm going to ask you to guess, what do you think my favorite show was? I'll give you a heavy hint. I looked at it through the eyes of my little granddaughters. Ah, you guessed it. It was Frozen. In fact, we went twice to Frozen. (laughs) The second one was actually a ride at Epcot, and I confess to you, I felt frozen in place, standing there as I was for 100 minutes, waiting for a seven-minute ride. (laughs) But not to worry, I got good therapy, because inside, Elsa sang to me, Kurt, just let it go. I love Jim Gaffigan's humor, you know, the stand-up comedian who has taken his own family to Disney. you got to watch his gig on that. In talking about the Dumbo ride, he says, you know, after standing 75 minutes, at the end of the line, there's a mirror. And when you look into it, somebody says to you, you are the Dumbo. (laughs) Let me get serious. What stood out to me more than anything else in my over 75,000 steps taken through all four of the parks was the sheer magnitude of the crowds. I mean, I passed by tens of thousands of people from around the world. And the Lord impressed upon me the realization that likely... I was one of over a relative, of only a relative few who probably knew Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. When you think about it, I mean, didn't that, isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 14? Few there be that find it. Now, full disclosure, why, why, why was I chosen in Christ and why so many other people not? Well, it's not because of anything meritorious in me. It is only by God's sovereign grace that I, once a part of pagan Gentile ancestry, should come to realize the mystery of God's goodness in Christ. Today's text links three key words to make that point. If you have a copy of God's word, I want you to join me in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. 
And I'm going to be centering my message around three key words that help make the point today. You see them on the screen. They are the words Gentiles, mystery, and grace. I've underlined them in the text. I want you to note them when I read. But just before I do so, let me explain that this passage is something of a reiteration, repetition of what we learned about last week from the end of chapter 2. It's really, by design, God uses repetition for purposes of learning and purposes of emphasis. So let me pick it up now in verse 1 and explain. Paul writes, for this reason, stop. What reason, Paul? He said that as an apostle to the Gentiles, I'm writing this to you, knowing what God has done in bringing Jew and Gentile together. And he goes on to detail his past and his privilege. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, he's under house arrest in Rome, writing this letter to the Ephesians, other letters as well. A prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, most of the church at Ephesus were Gentiles. And then notice the dash provided by the translators. Why the dash? Because Paul was setting out to pray for them, but he got so carried away with the reiteration, he was so moved by what he was thinking about, he didn't start praying until way down in verse 14. So there's a dash there. He pauses. Verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship, the word means management of God's grace, that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly, revelation means God personally showed it to him, revealed it to him. When you read this, verse 4, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, including me. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. My message today is entitled, Never Lose the Wonder. Picture a child at Christmas. Never lose the wonder. I want you to consider three applications of this imperative. First of all, never lose the wonder of your changed Identity. That prompts the question, as believers, what had been our former identity prior to coming to Christ? Answer, we were Gentiles. Let me explain. Probably 99% of us sitting here in this service and all the folks watching online, probably 99% of us are ethnically speaking Gentiles. You know what that means? It means you're not a Jew. <laughs> That's it. You're not a Jew. But there's more here. In God's sight, as per the Old Testament, the name Gentiles also represented all those outside the covenant family of the Lord. 
They were locked out. Hmm. Ethnically and religiously, there were only two kinds of people in the ancient world. There were Jew and Gentile. After the fall of man into sin, God set about to make a plan of redemption for his chosen people. He chose the Jewish people to be the conduit through which Messiah would be born. Jesus, as we celebrate coming up here at Christmas. He chose Hebrews, Jews. He chose Israel. He began with a man named Abraham. The fall of man was Genesis chapter 3. The promise of a seed was made there. But the generation of this new plan, the genesis of this plan through this people group started in chapter 12 through Abraham. And through his progeny, eventually the Messiah was born, namely Jesus. Now the question is, why did he choose Abraham? Was it because of anything meritorious in Abraham? How about the Jewish people? Anything meritorious in this people group known as the Jews? The answer is no. Do you know that likely Abraham was a worshiper of Nanar, the moon god, when God chose him? And relative to Israel, Deuteronomy 7 goes about to try to explain why God chose them. And if you read it, it's kind of like, what? Because when God says the reason he chose them was, get this, just because. Like, just because? Yeah. The text says he set his love on them just because. In other words, God chose them according to the counsel of his goodwill. And that's why he chooses you and me, too. Just because of the counsel of his goodwill. While the Jews were chosen, the various Gentile people groups were left to themselves. They're the people who have historically suppressed the knowledge of the one true God, Romans 1.18. To suppress means to restrain, to push down, to push out of mind, out of lifestyle. Gentiles had no knowledge that they wanted to retain of the one true living God. They dismissed from both mind and lifestyle any recognition that there's a God to whom we must give an account. Which kind of sounds like modern America and the Western world. Now, I'm a Gentile, just like most of you are. And I've studied my ancestry. I've gone on Ancestry.com, but I knew this before I went on. I'm from Western Europe originally. Grandpa and Grandma de Graff immigrated from the Netherlands. On my mom's side, they go back to Germany. And uh, I only go back to the 1800s, which, of course, is post-Reformation. But if I went back to earlier centuries among my ethnic ancestry, likely my relatives would have been considered pagan Gentiles. And yours, too. What do I mean by pagan? Pagans do not worship the one true God. They worship themselves. They worship man. They worship the creation. Read Romans chapter 1. Basically, they worship demons and the sun and the moon and the stars and animals. And they elevate man as being the ultimate, highest good. That's a pagan. My ancestors, your ancestors, were likely pagans. And yet here we sit today, most of us redeemed by the grace of God. Try to wrap your mind about that. Go back in time and think about your ancestors, how you got here and why you're here today. And most of them likely you'll never see again. 
How did Jews think of the ancient Gentiles? Well, they considered them beasts. Pastor talked about this last week. Subhuman almost. Called them dogs and pigs. They would call you and me dogs and pigs. They would not associate with them, could not eat with them, would not intermarry with them. They certainly could not worship with them. And while God's common grace would have probably tempered the hostilities to a certain degree, I want to remind you of how Paul described these Gentiles back in chapter 2 and verse 12. I've highlighted a few words. Look at them with me. This is what we were separated, alienated, strangers, that is aliens, having no hope without God in this world. But if you go on in that text, verse 13 says, but, but in Christ Jesus now, we have a new identity. Under grace, there's no longer just Jew and Gentile. There's the third category now today. And Paul speaks about it in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 32, when he says we're now not just Jew and Gentile, but there is the church of God We're a part, as a local church, of that larger universal church of God, the body of Christ. Praise God, if you have believed the gospel, all of your pagan past is forever behind you. God sees no human distinction for those who are in Christ. God does not see race. He only sees sons and daughters of the Father. So, in effect, it's no longer really race relations. It's now grace relations. Paul the Apostle was chosen to be the receptacle of this revelation, what is described in our text as a mystery. And that leads me to my second application today. Never lose the wonder of God's mysterious plan. Now, because this is repetitious material, you've heard Pastor Pat speak about this before in Ephesians. He defined the word mystery, Greek, mysterion. It refers to something that had been a sacred secret But that secret plan of God, formerly hidden, has now been revealed in these last days by grace. The word mystery is used in a variety of New Testament texts in a variety of ways, although there's a commonality to all of them. Let me just give you a quick overview of some of the usages of mystery in the New Testament. Here we go. There's the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, i.e. God's interim program between Christ's first and second comings. There is the mystery of the blindness of Israel, despite all their privileges. Did you know that the vast majority of Jews today, despite all their privileges, reject Yeshua as Hamashiach, as Messiah? They're blind. That's a mystery. And here we are, a bunch of Gentiles believing on their Messiah. Go figure. That's God's grace. There's the mystery of the departure of the church at the end of the age, what we commonly call the rapture. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's the mystery of the church as the bride of Christ. Now watch this. God uses the metaphor of marriage. A man and a woman, they come together in holy matrimony. They join together sexually, and something unique happens in a sexual union. It's mystical. It's magical. And God uses that to illustrate the way he feels about us, the bride of Christ, and he's the heavenly bridegroom. It's a mystery. Then there's the mystery of the indwelling Christ as the believer's hope of glory. 
Amazing. The God of the universe, the Son of God who created all things, lives in you and me. How? I don't know. It's a mystery, but he does. There's the contrast between the mystery of iniquity, that is the coming Antichrist, who will be the man of sin that rules the world at the end of time before Christ returns. That's contrasted with the mystery of godliness in the sanctified believer. And then there's what we're considering this morning, the mystery of the unity in the body of Christ between Jew and Gentile. An ethnicity status that had been so contemptible before is now dismissed as being irrelevant. Believers of whatever race are now elevated into a place of equality with each other. As the kid's song puts it, red and yellow, black and white, we're all precious in his sight. Why? How'd that happen? I'm going to read verse 6 for you very slowly. I want you to let it sink into your soul. Paul says, this mystery is that the Gentiles, that, that you and me, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers, all these words imply being together, partakers of the promise. How? How, Paul? In Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's in Jesus through the gospel, by believing it. Have you believed it? Then you're a part of this body. You've probably watched some football guys over the weekend. Have you ever seen the quarterback do this after a play? What's he mean? He said, huddle up. We're not going to go immediately to the line. We're, we're going to plan a play in the huddle. Jesus is the quarterback, and he says to all of his people, whatever race, whatever their background, huddle up in me. By the way, his game plan wins. So follow the quarterback. We must repent and believe to be a part of this family. In my estimation, this is where social justice issues devoid of Christ go sideways. Stay with me. This is a quote from an unknown source, but I think it's spot on. I'm going to read it for you. Jesus did not eat with sinners and tax collectors, Gentile types, because he wanted to merely appear inclusive or tolerant or accepting, today we would say, to appear woke. No, he ate with them. Why? To call them to repentance. So they could stop their sinning and be included on the only basis possible, that is through faith in Christ's death and resurrection. Maybe you're socially conscious. Let me ask you another question. Have you been accepted on the only basis by which God can receive you into his family? Turning from your sin, placing your faith in the sacrificial death and resurrection of Christ? If you haven't, I urge you to do so today, and then you will be a part of this amazing family of God. Before we left Orlando earlier this month, after we'd been to all four parks in five days, we, we took a day off. <laughs> and I said to the family, we went in this really big house with like 10 bedrooms. Each one had their own bathroom. And, and lots, lots of amenities, and included a home theater, which was large. And I said to the family, let's all gather in the home theater, and I want us to review what we saw at Disney. And I, 
I want you, in effect, to share with me your gospel takeaways from our journey into the magical world of Disney. By the way, I do this with regularity when I go to a movie with Karen or I watch one with my kids. I say, time out at the end. What did you just see? Put on your biblical lens. What was the philosophy behind the movie? What are they trying to teach you even subliminally? When you go to the movies over this uh, month of, of, of Christmas, ask yourself those questions. Now, I, I do want to be clear here. We, we had a blast. Thoroughly enjoyed our stay at Disney. It's a fun family vacation, and I'd do it again in a New York minute. <laughs> but here's among the things I heard from my kids. They're adults. They all love the Lord. Disney has a definite worldview via song and show. They talk a lot about the magic within you, the light within you that helps you to follow your heart. Listen discerningly. You see it in the tree of life at Animal Kingdom, which we visited, which is an obvious takeoff of Scripture from Genesis 2 and Revelation 22, but it's a twisted understanding. Don't let this escape you. The tree of life at Disney is man-made. Man-made. It stands 145 feet tall. Etched into its design is a trunk made up of 300 different animal images. Stay with me. Listen to me. Here is Gentile thinking. The idea at Disney is pantheistic. It is the notion that God is in everything and in everyone. And every created thing is interconnected. They call it the circle of life which was popularized in The Lion King. Here is the theology. They believe that the universe is sacred and divine, and that all of us have this divine power within us, and thus we can magically change ourselves and our world. Whoa. No, the Bible says it's only when we stop looking to ourselves and trust solely in Jesus Christ that we will experience something spiritually miraculous. That's why Jesus commanded all of us, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit, born from above, regenerated, where you're changed from the inside by the power of God, not the power of man or his creation. Have you been born again? Now still, to flip this over, as one of my sons mentioned, there are glimpses of truth at Disney. Seeing all the people from around the world together celebrating gives us a little insight into what heaven will be like. I like that. I really think the draw to Disney is the latent desire in every heart to experience something greater. But that something greater is the God of the Bible. The God who created all things, not to be worshipped, but to prompt us to worship Him as our Creator and our Savior through His Son, Jesus. And this leads me to a third application in our text. Never lose the wonder of the grace of God. Specifically in our passage, Paul treasured the grace of God that enabled him to understand this mystery and to be able to preach it to the Gentiles. And you see that it's in verses 
7 and 8. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. What grace? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Can I be honest with you today on this last Sunday of November as I stand before you to preach, I, I, I identify with Paul and what he said. There's a sense in which I, I have to ask myself, Kurt, why, why are you standing before these people? I'm a farm boy from the backwoods and the backwaters of rural Iowa. Not much of a pedigree there. I am a, I'm the least of all the saints. I'm the least of all the pastors. Why do I have the privilege of preaching to my Gentile audience today? It's only the grace of God. Most of us here today who've been saved are beneficiaries of this grace because here we are together in this setting reading this letter explaining the gospel of God in Christ. And many of you have believed. Why are you sitting here today instead of out there doing your thing? Sleeping with half of the community who shopped till they dropped on Friday? Why are you here? I think I know why. Because God has touched you. Some of you may be dismissive. Are you here because of anything any natural goodness or godly bent within you? Is it because you somehow figured this all out and you're smarter than others? No, here, here's the mystery of God's grace. He revealed it to you. He opened your eyes. He opened your ears and you believed. It's God. Have you believed? It is by grace you have been saved. By faith. And that, referring to the faith, is not of yourselves. It, even your faith, is a gift from God. Hmm. If you have been saved, I want you to listen very carefully. You are on the inside. You are included. Savor in this moment the word included. In fact, humor me. I'd like you to say out loud, all of you who have trusted Christ, I am included. And guess what? You'll never be excluded. Never. Never because you're in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, verse 39. Never lose the wonder. I like the way Piper puts it. We're not chosen because we're worthy. We're worthy because we're chosen in Christ. Paul did not lose that wonder, even though he wrote from prison, even though things were not going swimmingly for him. Look at verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. God's grace is greater even in whatever you're going through right now. God's grace is sufficient for you. A young missionary wife to Peru 
who was educated right here locally in Ankeny, went to our local Bible college named Faith, was murdered on the mission field just one month ago. Most of you have not even heard this because it's been kept under wraps. She was there to help battered women. People involved in the human trafficking trade. Sex slaves. And she was doing it by tying it into the gospel together with her husband and her little boy. Now, we who speak publicly of this have been asked to be very restrictive, lest the dark web in Peru hear too much. So I can only give you her first name. It's Becky. Becky was home recovering from a very severe case of COVID. Her husband and little boy happened to be out of the house at the time when thieves broke in and killed her. Hers had been a challenging life on the mission field of several miscarriages, the death of a stillborn daughter. But her husband and little boy continue to serve in their adopted country. Ironically, Becky had posted on a Facebook blog just a day or two before her death a statement that came right from her heart. This is amazing. Do you know what she discussed in her blog? The importance of forgiving those who sin against us. And it's not lost on me. There's a picture of Jesus right before he's murdered saying, Father, forgive them. You're never more like Jesus than when you forgive. How can these missionaries so show such commitment in the midst of so much pain? The answer, back to verse 13, suffering for the gospel becomes a means of glory for those who are benefited and for the God who supplies the grace sufficient to get us through. It brings God glory. There's another missionary who years ago could relate to what I'm talking about. Her name, Elizabeth Elliot. She lost her missionary husband through murder on another mission field. And she wrote these words from a famous book called Through Gates of Splendor. And I've chosen this paragraph because of her use of the key word mystery. I'm quoting, For us widows, the question as to why the missionary men who had trusted God should be speared to death was not one that could be smoothly answered in 1956 when they first went to the field, nor yet silenced in 1996 when these words were written. God did not answer Job's questions either. Job was living in mystery, the mystery of the sovereign purpose of God. And the questions that rose out of the depths of that mystery were answered only by a deeper mystery, the mystery of God himself. There are some mysteries in life we cannot understand, at least not right now. But others have been revealed to us, including the mystery that we Gentiles should be saved and included with believing Jews in this amazing entity called the Church of God, the body of Jesus Christ. I love Moses' quote, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Ours is a God of mystery, but he's also a God of marvelous grace 
Have you experienced it? Would you pray with me? Father, help us to get this, a room full of Gentiles. If we were to go back in time, if we could somehow visit our great, 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 great ancestors, they'd likely be pagans. Not even a knowledge of the one true God, just worshiping the creation. But here we are, those of us who are in Christ, believing. Why? Why? It's only your grace. Help us to not go back to pagan notions popularized in our culture. Help us to cling tenaciously to the truth of Scripture and the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray if somebody here has never trusted in Jesus, that you would in fact pull back the blinds and draw them to yourself today. And I pray for all my dear brothers and sisters here that they will never lose the wonder of the mystery being revealed to them. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?